thought I told all of you I want radio silence until further... Oh, I'm very sorry, Hans. I didn't get that message. Maybe you should have put it on the bulletin board. I Wax Tony and Marco and his friend here, I figured you and Carl and Franco might be a little lonely, so I wanted to give you a call. How does he know so much about this? This is very kind of you. security guard sorry Hans wrong guess would you like to go for double jeopardy where the scores can really change who are you then just a fly in the ointment Hans the monkey in the wrench the pain in the ass Mr. Mystery Guest are you still there yeah I'm still here unless you want to open a front door for me But you have me at a loss. You know my name, but who are you? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Another orphan of a bankrupt culture who thinks he's John Wayne, Rambo, Marshall Dillon. I was always kind of partial to Roy Rogers, actually. I really like those sequined shirts. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? You are listening to TMB DOS. They must be destroyed on site. The following podcast may contain language and discussions of a frank and adult nature, and spoilers regarding the films discussed are always to be expected. Thank you for joining us. Now start the show, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on site. Hello and welcome. We are back. It is They Must Be Destroyed on Site, episode 147, and I am your host, Lee. Come up to the coast. We'll get together, have a few laughs. Russell, I'm joined by my co-host, making his return after a little bit of an absence, Paul. Nine million terrorists in the world, and I got to kill one with feet smaller than my sister, Ramali. How are you doing, Mm -hmm. sir? Pretty good, sir. How are you doing? Good. And we're joined yet again uh, by our friend Greg. Quit being a part of the fucking problem and put the other guy back on, Bylowski. How are you doing, sir? Try hard as you can. You can't get rid of me. I'm like a nasty virus that you got from a dirty girl. Well, we do sort of slum it now and again on this podcast, so it's it's only it's only fair that we every once in a while we step on a infected, broken drug needle or a, hmm. some sort of cinematic typhoid Mary comes along and gives us a little little cough in the chest, something wow. along those I am not wearing shoes, and I'm making fists with my toes as we speak. Mm. So we are going to be doing Die Hard in some people's mind, perhaps the greatest Christmas movie ever made. We might get into that discussion later on. Before we do that, we do have some comments, so I'm going to try to get through these uh, as quickly as possible. On our Running Man episode, Jeff Williams said, if you guys want to see some proto-Running Man stuff from other countries... Check out the German made-for-TV movie Das Millionspiel, the Millions Game, the which Millions is game. yeah, which is much more of an inspiration 
to the Arnie film than the Bachman story is. It's surprisingly good for a 1970 TV movie. Though I haven't seen it, I've heard the French film La Prix de Danger is also purported to be very similar to The Running Man. All right, we'll keep those in mind for the list. Thank you, Jeff. Jason Connerly says, Sorry to take so long to chime in, but it's been a busy week. One minor point, you seem a bit perplexed by the armed mall security in Commando. There was a mix of mall security in brown uniforms and later in the scene, actual police in dark blue uniforms. The police had the guns where the mall cops only had batons, which I'll admit is a bit odd in itself. Anyway, great episode. Yeah, that's just the point I didn't pick up on. So uh, thank you, Jason. And uh, we have Derek Bourgois, who says, Can't wait to hear the episode, guys. Me and my podcast did the entire franchise last Christmas, and it was fun and interesting. As always, this film we talked to death, and it made our Hall of Ironside. Basically, they, they named it after... It's a it's a Hall of Fame they, they named after Michael Ironside, who they, apparently they, they like. So... Uh, that's awesome. I like Michael Ironside. Uh, and is one of the best Christmas movies of all time, in my opinion. As always, I'm curious to see how Lee is going to pronounce my last name. LOL. Godspeed, fellas. Well, thank you, Derek. And it's uh, yeah. my podcast and I, by the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I, I learned something. I learned a hard lesson because of Google and YouTube and all this stuff. Is I watched. I fucking watched Running Man and Commando for the podcast. And it wouldn't let me get on. So I fucking made sure I'll never do that again. Yeah, the one time you watch the fucking movie, you can't fucking join the podcast. Yeah, it would not let me. It just came up with this random error again and again and again. But I know how to get around the error now. But at the same time, it's like, well, fuck, I actually tried to actually put effort in. You're kicking me out. John (laughs) Matrix, you piece of shit. That's the lesson here. Never try. Yeah, exactly. Court Psyops says... What would the di- okay? Actually, I'm going to save this question for the end of the podcast, and we'll get Ooh. to that because it's talking about some of the origins of this film and how it would have been different if something else happened in it. And our friend Jamie Zinger pops in. I think this is the first time he's asked a question uh, for, for the podcast. He says, "Do you think John could have fashioned up some makeshift shoes if he had spent less time talking to himself?" <laughs> probably not. He probably would have argued about the style and design because he was in California. Mm, California was starting to rub off on him. It, it was, it was, it That'd was. Be good juice. Hmm. I'm sure he could have done something though. Like he, he, there must have been like some fucking tissue boxes or something. Tissue box or some up. kind of random like ductwork lining he could have put on his feet or something like some rubber lining he could have duct taped onto his feet or something like that. Yeah, something. Yeah, Sizen dem fenster. Shoot the glass. Well, the funny thing is he. he killed like a whole buttload of other terrorists and some of them you know you didn't try any of their shoes on did yeah you didn't try any of theirs i would have that would have been a priority of mine well we, get some we'll, fucking we'll, shoes. Just, uh, we'll blame it on the adrenaline i guess yeah yeah i like the fact that uh scheisen defense that means shoot the window not the glass but there you go that that was actually i was i was going through the long list of fucking trivia for this film and one of the things is um gruber says that to carl once in german and then he then he says it to him in English to emphasize and, and let the, the viewers know. It's like, shoot the fucking glass. So he chops yeah. his fucking feet to shit, you know? Mm-hmm. I do like the fact that Carl's just looking at him like, I don't, I'm sorry, I can't understand you. And yeah. He's like, shoot the glass, asshole. Well, to, to be fair, Carl was Russian in real life. Yeah. So well, he, might he be. died of hepatitis and alcoholism at 90, in 95. So, I mean, <laughs> poor yeah. guy. Poor well, guy. apparently, when we're talking about trivia, apparently, 
I don't think anyone actually knew how to speak German. So apparently a lot of those phrases are either incorrect or they're like complete gibberish. They make mm -hmm. like zero sense in German. But unless you know German, you don't know that. Exactly. Although apparently uh, Alan Rickman's accent was spot on from, from what I've, I've read. So there you go. Do any of you guys have anything you've watched in the last little while you want to talk about? Greg, I'd like you should go first. I will go first. So what have I watched? We've been watching some Christmas movies lately, me and the wife. Uh, nothing, nothing too crazy. We watched an absolute fantastic movie, and I hate to overshadow Die Hard because, I mean, this is obviously the best Christmas we ever made. Uh, we watched Deck the Halls with Danny DeVito and shit, who's that? Who's that dude from Ferris Bueller's Day Off? I can't even think of his name mm, right now. Uh, Broderick. Spice. Yeah, Matthew Broderick. And let me just Bro say, <laughs> this was clearly the best movie ever made of all movies, and I recommend everyone watch it 100%. And definitely buy a $100 DVD edition if such a thing exists, because yes, it's really good. No, actually, I pirated it, and I want my two hours back. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Um, and we were watching the first half hour of Black Christmas, and that's really good. Uh, we'll that is good. We'll that after the podcast. And uh, just even though this is kind of an obvious thing, I, well, maybe not so much since Paul's here, but I actually did watch Die Hard, and I watched it on a giant screen. And that was pretty cool. Seeing it That with does sound audience, cool. Seeing it with an audience of people mm -hmm. that half of them seem to have seen the movie, the other half seem to have not seen the movie, because when shit happens, <clears throat> there were many people, including the guy that was sitting right beside my wife, were genuinely shocked by some of the twists in the movie. So uh, mm -hmm. that I found a little bit odd that I guess. Well, I mean, it's something that I've been saying for quite a long time now. I don't want to sound like a bitter old man, but hey, it's going to happen anyway. I was like, you know, most of these people in the world have not seen these films that are people are remaking left and right. They've never seen the original. So why not 4K master the original and put it in a fucking theater again, like a brand new movie, and you'll, you'll make a, just as much money. Yeah. They're remaking Drop Dead Fred. Most people I know have never seen Drop what? Dead Fred. Well, yeah. Why are they remaking they're, that? They're making, uh, here's the worst part. They're remaking Drop Dead Fred and making Russell Brand Drop Dead Fred. Uh, and Russell Brand is a horrible piece of shit that I'd love to smash with a hammer. He's so fucking annoying. So you're going to ruin an absolute gem of a film. Well, that's not so crazy. I'm just saying. I like the film. I think the film is a gem. I love the film. I love Drop Dead Fred. Did you know Tom Green once has been shopping around like a sequel to Freddy Got Fingered? Ugh. I mean, he, I, I didn't even like the first one. <laughs> I, don't, I, think, I don't think anybody did. Mm. <laughs> um, you, have get, you have to become the animal. Mm. Mm -hmm. Anything else, Greg? No, that's pretty much it for me. Just, you know, otherwise, you know, the usual, usual Christmas stuff, Lethal Weapon and... Christmas story and the Grinch, that type of stuff, but nothing. No, nothing. the Grinch is awesome. Grinch the is original awesome. one. That's the actually, original. Uh, well, we did watch the original cartoon and we watched the Jim Carrey 2001, which my wife is a big fan of. I enjoy it too. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it's all around good Christmas movies. And uh, oh, and of course, uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night, another mm -hmm. classic. Yeah, Silent yeah. Night, Deadly Night Part 2, not so good. No, no. Not, not so good. And actually, we were doing a. Um, we're doing sort of a marathon because my wife is a fan of the Santa Santa Claus with uh, Tim Allen. So we watched that and Silent Night, Deadly Night for the first time. Sorry, it was her first time watching Silent Night, Deadly Night. So we watched those two movies. The next night we watched the sequel to both those movies. And the Santa Claus 2 is actually scarier 
than the sequel to Silent Night, Deadly Night, because God damn it, there's a plastic Tim Allen that you see his butt. That is scary. There you go. And More power. The third Santa Claus, and unfortunately, I have yet to be able to find a good pirated copy of the third Silent Night, Deadly Night. So I, we've not seen that yet. But perhaps- or you could just buy it. Yeah, I don't want to do that. I know. I know. Now, which I'm sorry, I'm, sorry. I'm, I'm trying to think. There's, there's what, like three sequels to Silent Night, Deadly Night, isn't there? Well, apparently, there's five of them all together, but only two sequels to the movie that follow the timeline, and then the other two are separate stories. Because I know there, I know there's one that's got the dude who's in all the, I, I, I forgot his fucking name, but he's the dude who's in all the fucking Rob Zombie movies these days he plays the fucking albino dude and fucking devil's rejects or whatever um well, the the clown the clown guy no not, not the sid clown Hague. yeah that's sid Hag. not sid Hag. it's the other guy like oh. I, i'm just blanking on his fucking name but he's not, in not it's not michael perlman or anything no 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 okay but he's he's in he's in one of those uh he's in one of those sequels and he's got like a fucking open skull surgery now his brains in this like plastic bubble or like is, is replacing his, the top of his skull, and you can see his oh. brains. Oh. Well, that sounds like fun. Which is weird. And then then I think the other one has Mickey Rooney in it, if I'm not mistaken. Is the Toy Maker or something like that it's called? Like, it's like the last sequel. Silent Night, Deadly Night to Toy Maker or some bullshit. Oh. That's sort of like the Halloween 3 of that series? No, oh. Halloween 3 is good. I agree. <laughs> Halloween three is really good, but it's a it's a departure from the rest of the series. Yeah, do you have anything, Paul? Or I've been watching a lot of trauma stuff lately. Uh, just kind of going through my list and trying to find the shittiest films I own. But I found some that I actually really like. I mean, they're not the greatestly shot films. They're I was going through a list of shit films, trying to find the ones that were the shittiest. But I actually found some ones that I haven't watched yet that I actually liked. Angel Negro was actually pretty interesting. And uh, uh, Viral Assassins was actually really good. I liked the storyline. I didn't really like the ending so much, but the film's actually pretty good. I watched the best, you know, one of the best Christmas films ever, which was Cadaver Christmas, which is fucking great. And, uh, of course, I watched Don't Open It Until Christmas, which I love that one. Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, those kind of things. I've been watching so much that it's actually randomly so much. Like, I've been watching a lot of Flesh Eater Majorettes, Dark Craving, Midnight, a lot of John Russo stuff, a lot yeah, of that Bill Hines and stuff. That doesn't sound so random. That sounds like a theme, actually. Yeah, well, that's it's just what I do, man. I just do the John Russo, Bill Hinesman kind of thing where everything kind of ties in together, the actors and stuff. So I've been watching a lot of that. But other than that, I've been watching a lot of featurettes. I'm trying to do a, a short film here later this year. So I've been doing a lot of like low budget. Uh, I did a lot of... Um, John McBride films. I was watching John McBride films, so I was watching Cannibal Camp Out and uh, and Woodchipper Massacre. I love the featurettes. I'm actually watching more featurettes lately than the actual films. Hmm. Interesting. I got something, some stuff I could mention, but actually, I'm going to save both of them for when we uh, eventually get to our best of year end uh, show, because basically the stuff I've been watching the last couple days is going to be on it. So there, there you go. go. Uh, one that wouldn't be on it is the church, although it's still pretty good. I like the church. Yeah. Yeah. I like the church. The, the Mikel Suave uh, mm-hmm. movie with Dario Argento's name. I always, always, always thought it was pronounced Savio, but I don't, it might be I, I have Suave. no idea what it's fucking pronounced. Mikel you know how Savio. bad. You, yeah. But you, I love, I mean, Cemetery Man's one of the classic loves of my life. So. I and I mean, that. he he also did Stage Fright, which is Stage Fright, good. yeah. And he was part of Demons too, mm-hmm. you know. So he was the man in the mask. Yeah, the I mean, man 
the mask. That's different. <laughs> I mean, he's just he's just like Argento and and uh, Lombardo Bava and all them, where they they work their way up in in the industry and eventually got were given projects to direct. You know, they mm-hmm. assistant direct for other directors and, and do all kinds of shit, and then. Mm-hmm. Eventually, they worked their way up, and it's too bad he's not making more movies. Like he, no. he's only made. Like, I think he does mostly TV now, which is a fucking shame. If you if if you look at his history, though, like as far as I'm concerned, his cinematic history, Cemetery Man is the pinnacle. That's the pinnacle. That would be a hard one to beat. So mm-hmm. yeah, it is a very solid movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so we're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna play a little bit of music, a podcast promo or two. And we're going to come back with Die Hard. Hello and welcome to Hello, This is the Doom Show. I'm Richard. And I hate the burning. Shh, who are you? Speak. (laughs) And I'm Brad. She came in and said, and he said, and she said, that's what I got. One is the Suspiria boner. The other is the Inferno boner. <laughs> which, anyway. which one is crying? <laughs> the boner of tears. <laughs> Hello, This is the Doomed Show is available on hellodoomedshow.podomatic.com and doomedmoviethon.com. Hello, hello. This is the Doomed Show. Richard, Brad, Jeffrey, Nava. It's the Doomed Show. Hello, hello. This is the Doomed Show. Slashers, G.I. Low and Horror. It's the
All right, Die Hard, 1988. It's Christmas Eve in L.A. California. He's going to have to save her. Sit down. Within this skyscraper high above the city, 12 terrorists have declared war. They're about to be taught a lesson in the real use of power. They're as brilliant because I am interested in the $640 million in your vault. As they are ruthless. And I'm telling you, you're just going to have to kill them. Okay. We do it the hard way. Now, the last thing McLean wants... Think, damn it, think! ...is to be a hero. Where's Howie? Hey, Tucker! Where? But he doesn't have a choice. What does he think he's doing? John. They have already killed one hostage. This channel is reserved for emergency calls only. Lady, we sound like a board of pizza! He's inside? Who is he? Directed by John McTiernan, written by Roger Thorpe, Jeb Stewart, and Stephen E. D'Souza. Starring Bruce Willis as John McClane, Alan Rickman in his first film role as Hans Gruber, Alexander Gudinoff as Carl, Bonnie Bedelia as Holly Gennaro McClane, Reginald Vell Johnson <laughs> from uh, Family Family Matters or Family Matters Family Matters. Yeah. I always call him Carl. His name is Carl. Carl. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. Original Vell Johnson as Sergeant Al Powell. Paul Gleason, the uh, quintessential 1980s asshole. You wanted an asshole in the movie? You get Paul Gleason as Dwayne T. Robinson. Devor White. I'm, I'm I'm probably totally off on that one. That's a fucked um, That's a fucking weird name. As Argyle. Uh, William Atherton. Another asshole, most famously in, in Ghostbusters, as this man has no dick, as uh, <laughs> Richard Thornburg, Clarence Gilliard as Theo, Hart Brockner as Harry Ellis, and James Shigata as Joseph Yoshinobu Tagaki. 
and I'll go to a quick little synopsis here. NYPD cop John McLean goes on a Christmas vacation to visit his wife Holly in Los Angeles, where she works for the Nakatomi Corporation. While they are at the Nakatomi headquarters for a Christmas party, a group of robbers led by Hans Gruber take control of the building and hold everyone hostage, with the exception of John, while they plan to perform a lucrative heist. Unable to escape with no immediate police response, John is forced to take matters into his own hands. And I think that works as like a back-of-the-box kind of description of this thing. But uh, I'll throw it over to you there first, Greg. When was the first time you saw this, and uh, what's sort of your general thoughts on it? Oh, I don't even know when the first time I saw it was. Probably long after it first came out. I, I would say, if I were to hazard a guess, probably in the mid-90s is when I first saw it. And I'm sure when I first saw it, it was one of those things that I... I, I enjoyed it as a good movie, much like I enjoyed a lot of 80s action movies. I've always liked them. But I, I think it's only sort of, a, you know, in the last maybe 15 or maybe 20 years that I've actually really appreciated this movie for the masterpiece it is. It is the best Christmas movie ever made. And anyone who thinks otherwise can go fuck themselves. And <laughs> yeah, it's it's a Christmas tradition. I've I've sucked my wife into that web. And now we watch it at least once every single year at Christmas. And I brainwashed her to feel the same way as I do. So she'll agree with anything I say, luckily. And, uh, I mean, what else is there? It, it is, you know what, taken away from the whole Christmas thing, it is one of the best action movies ever made. It differentiates itself from all the Schwarzenegger stuff. And, again, I love the Schwarzenegger stuff. But you know what? It tries to add a little bit of realism to the action mm -hmm. genre, where it's not just a guy who's seven feet tall going and blowing everyone up and shooting everyone. It actually tries to say, hey, you know what, we're trying to make this somewhat realistic. Bruce Willis is not invincible. He can get hurt. He's just a regular guy who happens to be, a, have a little bit of training and is able to, you know, overcome these obstacles. You know, it's, it's, it's a Christmas miracle. And you can always, <laughs> you can always tell the way he kind of talks, like he was always a loose cannon anyway. So he always thinks outside the box anyway. And this is just how a normal guy who does the nine to five thinks outside the box would handle a situation like this. I mean, I think we can all pretty much assume that if Hans Gruber hadn't created this incident, that Bruce Willis probably would have shot up that party. <laughs> he was going there to, to end it all. Yeah, I mean, why, why the hell not? You know, he, he'd take care of people with the, the revolver he had and the rest. He'd, you know, take care of them creative ways, ice picks and all that. <laughs> okay, so, uh, Paul, do you know when the first time you watched this was? And, uh, it's got to be... It's got to be early 90s. Um, I never actually gravitated to this film growing up. I was always more of the Lethal Weapon fan. Mm -hmm. I was more of the Lethal Weapon kind of guy growing up. And I didn't get back into Die Hard until Die Hard with a Vengeance came out because that's still my favorite Die Hard. Oh, yeah. After I really sunk my teeth into that one, I worked down the list and I really don't like Die Hard 2 at all. And then Die Hard 1 is obviously the one that is like, okay, no, actually, this is pretty, this is pretty goddamn good. You know what I mean? But I had to re get my appreciation for it. And Die Hard 3 helped me reappreciate it. I think Die Hard 3 is pretty decent. It at least takes the series in a new direction because Die Hard 2 is essentially just Die Hard. I mean, they even they even happens on Christmas again, like, mm -hmm. yeah. or whatever, right? So, although it's got Franco Nero in it playing a, a Central American dictator. Well, that's something. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah, for me, first time I watched this, I think I actually had the VHS, like, when it, when it first came out in VHS. I think we bought that. I think I got it for Christmas, if I'm not mistaken. And I've always liked this film. Watching it now, I'm actually, it's something I never quite realized how fucking long it is. It's almost two and a half hours. It's I did a little research on the length of action movies in the 1980s, and this is next to only like uh, films like Aliens and 
Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. This is one of the longest uh, action movies of the 1980s. Almost all the rest of them, they seem to clock around about an hour 30 to about an hour 45. But then you got something like Aliens that's a legit almost two and a half hours or whatever. <laughs> you want the special edition. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, man, this doesn't play like a two-hour and 17-minute movie. It, no, I didn't it, think it was that long, yeah. It moves really fast. It's it's really sort of tightly constructed. Well, and it, like, doesn't, there's a, it doesn't linger on things. No, which is weird too because it has a lot of side characters who have like their little stories going on as well. So it's it's always jumping around to different stuff. And I guess that's kind of also what keeps the pace with it because if you're just with Bruce Willis talking to himself for two hours, it might get a little boring after a while. No, I think it, I mean it doesn't take too much time focusing on characters that aren't integral to the plot, so the, it keeps the plot moving along, which keeps you in into it. Which you know, yeah, we're showing you know because Uncle Carl is or not Uncle Carl, but Carl Carl Winslow is just buying Twinkies at the grocery store, but he's still you're he, you're trying to get him caring about him. You know what I mean? So it's a uh, character growth. So it still mm-hmm. makes sense in the plot. You know what I mean? So everything's good that way. That's why I don't think. I tell you what, though, the only thing I felt bad about Carl is he took a hell of a first ride. I mean, that okay. was a long fucking first ride. Yeah, it's it's funny. I remember uh, reading uh, Roger Ebert's review of this, and he thought the Carl Winslow's uh, character was like the worst thing in the movie. I he, love it. Yeah. <laughs> I love his character. He's kind of the guy on the outside that's actually helping Bruce Willis. Like he's he's a great character, and mm-hmm. yeah, he he got the shit blown out of his car though, man. Like that guy, yeah. dude, trying trying to go there. Welcome to the party, pal. Man, yeah. Bruce Willis really yeah. threw him into the shitter. Like wow, like he he got the body in his car. He got the shit shot out of his car. Like man, can't the guy just eat some Twinkies and gets. Get some to his wife, maybe. Like, what, what's going on? <laughs> and uh, I guess, like, for years afterwards, uh, people who who ran into him on the street would like try to give him Twinkies and shit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, fat so, man like is, that. Yeah, which is which is weird. But uh, yeah, the re- the real shitty cop is is Paul Gleason as Chief Robinson or whatever, who's just just uptight asshole who causes more problems than he fucking solves because he's constantly stalling everybody and making the wrong fucking moves. And not listening to anyone. You got the two fucking FBI agents who are also as incompetent as shit. They're you know, they're both they're like gung ho fucking And they they don't care and they don't care if anybody dies. Like no, we can mm-hmm. quarter percent bloodthirsty. That's good. Yeah. They're just That's like, right. Oh yeah, yeah, like what the fuck? Let's just yeah, whatever, twenty five percent of the hostage is perfectly acceptable. It's fine. Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> One thing I really like about this, but and uh Greg touched on it. We we mentioned we mentioned in a in a previous episode. I think it was Greg actually who mentioned this. How Sylvester Stallone is sort of like the more every at least at beginning he was more the everyman counterpart to Arnold Schwarzenegger as far as action movie stars go. But mm-hmm. here you got a really down to earth everyman mm-hmm. action hero in in John McClane who he's not unbelievably athletic he's not super muscular he's not super tall he's going bald he's kind of uncouth and kind of a kind of a failure in his in his real life like he can't mm-hmm. keep a marriage together because he's kind of an asshole i mean you know like how how dare how dare your wife not want to stay in the kitchen you know like fucking <laughs> but yeah it's just every time you see him get into the shit it's always believable that he could end up getting killed like you can mm-hmm. kind of suspend your disbelief as you're watching a movie like you know he's the hero you know he's going to survive but as you're watching the movie, you're like, 
man, this guy can get fucked up. He could die. It's like you, you can, well, you can kind of believe it. At the same time, it's like, okay, you're not a superhero. How are you actually going to get this to work? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, let's see how he does it. I mean, fuck. I, just... lo- I love how dirty this film gets, too, because he gets fucking filthy. When he's smashing the glasses with his bloody feet, he's kicking the blood all over the like the window. Like, there's a lot of dirty, gritty, grimy, real shit you don't see in other superhero films or like or uh, tough guy <laughs> films or whatever. The dude could die just from the blood loss from his feet. Like he gets mm-hmm. a nasty glass in his feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just just reminded me uh, how your wife uh, made that really nice little uh, Advent McLean in, in the in the fucking shaft. Uh, I'm probably gonna have to get a. Take that picture and, and post it in the show notes for when we when we do post the podcast up. Yes, I'm looking at it. It's fantastic. My wife is incredibly talented. She's listening. Yeah, sucking up bullshit. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so what do you guys think of all the bad guys in this? Like, they're... I I like the bad guys, and if you notice my flowing hair, like if I could actually fake a nice German accent, I could be a bad guy in an '80s action movie. Because they all have fantastic hair. I would love to put a cord around your neck and just throw you down a stairwell. <laughs> Who wouldn't? You yeah. know what I mean? So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm digging it. Actually, I like uh, Carl. I actually like Carl the best, especially when he was fucking with his brother, when he was trying to, like, like trick out the system. And he mm-hmm. just comes with a chainsaw and starts fucking cutting all the, the conduit. And he's like, no, 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 no. He's like, oh, got to hurry up. Got to hurry up, buddy. Oh, almost. You know, it's just kind of funny. Yeah, Carl's pretty fucking no nonsense. He's mm-hmm. like he's just a psychopath looking to fucking go off on something. But but uh like Alan Rickman first role does fucking awesome, plays sort of like the what what every American at that time probably thought Euro Trash was like. Oh yeah, this this is definitely what this this astute thinks he's better than everybody else, fucking European. That's that's what they're all like, you know. He's um, all pretty much. I've been there, they're pretty much like that. What were you saying, Greg? No, I said these are definitely the terrorists we should be worried about. Let's not worry about <laughs> yeah. from any other countries. Let's just worry about European terrorists. They're they're, mm. they're going to cause trouble. And they and they they turn out not to be terrorists anyway. They're just they're just generic bank robbers. Although earlier in the script, they were supposed to be terrorists, and in the book that this is based on, they are terrorists. Mm. Who said we were terrorists? Yeah, apparently it was became too dark or something, and they thought they needed to lighten up the movie. I like that. Yeah, nice but, nice suit. Towards mm. London, I have to myself. Yeah, I hear Arafat shops there as well. Whatever <laughs> he says, yeah. Um, but yeah, there there is a sense of humor that runs through this, and it's it's kind of macabre. Like John McClane, he's got kind of a dark sense of humor about everything, and I guess that sort of got written into the character because the uh, real cops they had on as you know to um, to give pointers and you know to coach them and shit on on what cops do. Apparently, apparently, all the cops that he was sort of working with, they all sort of had like this sort of dark sense of humor about them. So, uh, I guess some people complain that oh, he's you know he's saying too many quippy lines and he's making too many jokes. But apparently, that's kind of true to life. That's how you get through shit, man. You joke about it. That's mm-hmm. how you get through everything. I will say, I have a close family member who is a cop who's been a cop for almost thirty years, and yeah, you do, they do have a dark sense of humor. Mm-hmm. You got to joke about it or it'll eat you up. You got to make it funny. Willis's personality sort of really does shine through when he does this too. Because the, the the first time, the first terrorist he kills, he ties him up in the chair and he's going to put him down the fucking uh, elevator. And you see him see something and he and he smiles. And then yeah, next he thing sees, you know, uh, he sees the Santa Claus and all the on the Christmas stuff and he smiles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. ho, ho. 
now I've got a machine gun. Yeah, now I've got a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, anyone have anything else they want to say about this one? Uh, oh, it's, uh, I was going to say the uh, the kind of ego-maniacal kind of way Hans tries to... It's kind of funny because Hans tries to show himself as this great thief, this ego-maniacal kind of a guy, but yet he's still a failure just as much as John is because he hasn't done anything. And mm-hmm. he thinks he's so great. And like when he did the Plutarch line about Alexander wept because there was no more worlds to conquer... That's actually a misnomer because Plutarch wrote about Alexander that um, he wept when he learned of all the different worlds there are because he had net, he had yet to conquer one. That's real Plutarch hmm. on Alexander. So that was a um, like kind of like a, a twisted kind of line he twisted in his own mind to make himself seem like more important. You know what I mean? The way it is. Gruber and uh, McLean, they play this sort of mental chess game between each other, and he underestimates McLean quite a bit. I do like uh, Alan Rickman's, oh, God, you're one of them, aren't you? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Great accent. I don't know what that accent's supposed to be, though. Like, I don't know, but Jesus. Oh. You're an American. Hear him. Are you American? Does New Jersey count? I don't know. But, uh, you know, so it's like, it's no wonder that uh, Willis actually caught on that he was the terrorist all along, but yeah. Um, apparently, originally in the script, it was written that all the terrorists had the same watches, ah, same brand of watch, and he was supposed to have looked down and seen Rickman's watch and then clued in, oh shit, he's a terrorist. But they there, there was that. a there was an actor, a comedian on a QI. I can't remember the guy's name, but he does a fucking fantastic uh, impersonation. I mean, mm-hmm. spot. I mean, spot the fuck on, right? And uh, he was talking because they were friends, and uh, Alan let him know that his his niece or nephew came up to him and he goes, "Uncle Alan, why do you always play villains?" And he went all dark and went, "I don't play villains." I play very interesting people. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you think of when you think about it, and I think Rickman has even alluded to this, that the character of Hans Gruber, even though he is the villain, he is the one who sort of pushes the entire story forward. Because mm-hmm. if it isn't for him, it's just it's just like what you said, Paul. It's, it's a boring fucking Christmas party where. Either either McLean ends up shooting it up, or he just ends up, you know, oh, staying yeah, separated from his wife. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I do like the John. Like I like the, the 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 falling waters house thing. That was nice. The, mm. Because it's the nice tranquil falling waters thing. It's all those other humans need to get shot. Especially, I'm so happy the cokehead fucker got shot too. It makes that makes me happy. He kind of reminded me of you a little, Paul. Yeah, I know. That's why I wanted him to die the most. <laughs> I was reading into this. Surprisingly, this keeps a lot from the fucking book. Uh, even even like a lot of the action scenes that you see, you would think, oh, they were made up for you know the big '80s action film. You know, they were rewritten into it. No, a lot of this shit is actually in the actual story. Uh, a lot of a lot of the uh, stuff that happens. But I should mention, yeah, the uh, the actual story was Roderick Thorpe's 1979 novel "Nothing Lasts Forever," which is the sequel to 1966, "The Detective," and that was actually turned into a Frank Sinatra movie. Sinatra, at the age of like 73, was offered the leading role in this movie. Yeah, he was contractually obligated to given given a be given a first uh, run at the sequel if he wanted to do it right. Yeah, but but he said no. 
because he was like, I'm 70 fucking years old. Who you? Well, I mean, can... Bruce. I mean, wasn't Bruce Willis like the sixth or seventh person? He it was he was on a long list of people. Well, and actually, the funny thing is, Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman were both no names at the time because oh, yeah. Bruce Willis was a comedian because he did that hour long show with the well, I can't remember her name, but Bones. they were it was a comedian. It was a comical show that they were doing at the time. Actually, it was funny because he apparently he was only on the in this movie because the show he was on, one of the main actresses got pregnant, so they had to give everyone a hiatus. So that's the only reason he was actually able to do this. He apparently apparently turned down the role because he couldn't he didn't have the time to do it and then somebody got knocked up. So uh, there you go. Yeah. Right. Script was offered to a ton of people like Clint Eastwood actually had the rights to the script for quite a while mm. and he was originally going to make it, but he never ended up doing it. It was offered to Richard Gere, Burt Reynolds, Stallone, Harrison Ford, Don what? Johnson and Nick Nolte and Mel Gibson and Richard Dean Anderson, MacGyver Jesus himself. Christ. Yeah. Bronson too. Yeah. And Schwarzenegger, he was offered it. He just he, like, fuck that. He have fit through those vents. Yeah, no. right. Yeah. This is one right around the time where he wanted to broaden his movie uh, filmography, I guess. Like, he wanted to show he could do other stuff. So he actually went on and did Twins right around this time, I guess. Oh, okay. Yeah. That fantastic classic that it, we all remember. Mm hmm. It's not that bad. It's not it's bad. Right. But again, that's the best you can say about it. It's not that bad. Yeah. But yeah, so this does still retain a lot of stuff from Nothing Lasts Forever. Weirdly enough, though, Sinatra probably would have been right for like a straight uh, adaptation of that to into the movie. Because in that one, he's basically the, the character, the main character is a retired cop. So Frank Sinatra probably would have been around the right age. Although uh, in that book, apparently... By the end of it, his daughter, it's his daughter at the party instead of his wife. And she ends up dying at the end of the fucking book. And apparently... Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah, and the main character is crippled for the rest of his life by the end of it. But uh, it it does follow follow the book quite a bit. Well, it does put a real realism to it, though. I mean, if you get all that glass in you and shit like that, and you get... I gotta say, it's still still better than some of the Die Hard sequels. Yeah, and uh, that's a good segue, actually. So Paul already, Paul already said you you like Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yeah, part yeah, um, that's mine. Yeah, yeah. What's uh, what's your favorite of the Die Hard sequels, uh, Greg? Well, this is might be a little contentious because shockingly, I'm going to completely disagree with Paul. Um, Die that's Hard fine. is my favorite. Uh, Die Hard Two is my second favorite. I like it because it continues similar formula. Now, I'm not going to argue that. It, yes, it's not completely original. It is a similar formula, but it's it sorted to me what the Die Hard series is. They keep a lot of the same actors and actresses, and it's hey, he's trapped in an airport this time. Cool. Die Hard with a Vengeance also good movie to me. It's a step down, although I do like the um, oh, pardon my language, but the uh, I, I hate niggers scene. I mean, that's something that you it's would, just that's as raw. That's funny. It's just funny. Yeah, I mean, it's not something you would see in a in a typical movie. Uh, it's and apparently probably would not be something that would be filmed. I yet. like the fact in in Die Hard three and with a Vengeance, they bring the cat and mouse play with fucking his. They, he wants to play with McLean the whole time and fuck him up. You know what I mean? Like, and mm-hmm. that's really really prominent in the film. And he has to figure out how to get out. And I like that. There's a lot of cat and mouse. Let me film. let me tell you that my my issue with Die Hard with a Vengeance and. Again, this is an issue depending how you feel about it. My Racist. personal issue is that he's no longer trapped anywhere. Like the idea of Die Hard is he's trapped somewhere with a terrorist and he has to figure out how to get out of it. 
The second movie, although yes, it is a little bit, it does follow the same formula. And to me, it follows what the Die Hard formula is, is that he's trapped somewhere. He has to sort of figure out how to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Die Hard of the Avengers is the first one that where he's sort of, he's in New York. He's no longer trapped anywhere. And I mean, the fourth movie and fifth movie, I mean, the fourth movie I think is, is it's, it's enjoyable enough. It's not a great movie, but it's enjoyable. The fifth one's really trash. Really- I really do think like all these, these classic films should be trifectas and nothing more. You know what I mean? Like, as soon as you hit three, stop. There's only three Indiana Jones films. I don't give a fuck what anyone says. Well, I actually don't mind the fourth one, but that's just because I have terrible taste in movies all over. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) No, I, you know, I like part three, but part two has always been, to me, a more enjoyable movie because it still sort of follows the diehard formula. It still feels like an 80s action movie, which to me is important. The, the Die Hard with Avengers is too much into a 90s thing, and they have, you know, kind of shitty special effects and stuff like that. Samuel L. Jackson is fun in that movie. There's no doubt about it. But, I mean, it feels me, it basically, it goes along the timeline. I mean, in terms of order, best to, wor- best to worst, it's one, two, three, four, five. Like, very easy. Yeah. For me, I got to go with Paul. My, my favorite sequel is part three. I do like part two, though. It's just... Yeah, I've seen that film before. I don't need to see it again kind of thing. That's just that's just my... Like, I, I like the cat and mouse game across the city. I like how it's it, it's basically screenwriting 101, but the, the clever little joke, Simon Says, they play Simon Says or whatever because the bad guy is Simon Gruber, the big mm-hmm. brother of, of uh, Hans who didn't like his little brother, apparently. I thought you but... said you didn't like your brother. Not liking one and not caring when some dumb Irish fat foot drops him off a building. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. Um, and that that's one I owned on VHS as well. That's one I now that now that I think about it, I've probably seen that one more than Die Hard or any I know, other I sequels. Have. Yeah. Oh wow! Really? Wow. It's definitely more enjoyable. And you're and you're right. The the sign with the uh, the I the I hate niggers uh, scene is definitely something you couldn't get away with today. I mean, at, at this point now, they do the sequels where. He can't even say yippee ki motherfucker anymore because they fucking make it PG-13. Well, so. That's why they shouldn't have these sequels. Like, they should have never even been happening. Has, anyone, so has anyone ever seen the uh, the t- made-for-TV, well, the censored-for-TV version of Die Hard with a Vengeance? Die Hard with Constipation. Okay, so what they do for the sign part, they I don't know if they, if they CG'd this or if they just refilmed it. They would have refilmed it. But Bruce Willis actually, his sign says, I hate everybody. <laughs> that, well, the, I can wear that sign. And in the original movie, uh, Samuel L. Jackson answers the phone talking to Simon saying, you got a problem with niggers, boy? And in the TV version, he says, you got a problem with everybody, boy? Oh, God. <laughs> that's weak sauce, man. That's that real, is, like that's pathetic. I mean, couldn't they... They could at least it could have said like I hate blacks or I hate minorities or something yeah, something, something that would something, something that, that would that has a fucking focal point something that actually something that would legit have the actual black people walking I around hate the street Mondays actually come after him you know because if he's if he's just saying I hate everybody it's well where's your goth well if, if it was back in California you could put I hate Starbucks mm-hmm. I suppose and then people would come after you like that fuck. I, I don't even want another sequel, but apparently they're planning one. Oh, good. Of course they are, because why not? It makes money. Yeah, I mean, Bruce Willis is only like 62 right now, and <laughs> fucking... 
apparently it's going to be like he's going to be uh from the spec scripts i've read about apparently he's going to be like seriously wounded and he's going to like flash back to when he was a new york cop back in the like the 70s early 80s and then they're going to flash back to the present time and it's going to be like relatives of fucking hans gruber coming after him and shit and it's then almost sounds like the crazy shit with uh with phantasm like that last phantasm where everything was a dream oh don't get me started on that terrible movie oh you've been in a coma well, at this point, why don't they just remake the original movie and have The Rock be the star of it? Because why not? Oh, God, <laughs> fucking stop. <laughs> Isn't that what that skyscraper movie apparently is? <laughs> I have not seen it, but I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, that's what I've been hearing. I haven't seen it, but apparently that is basically, I think even the poster, unless someone just mocked this up to, to make a point, I think the poster even mimics the fucking one of the diehard posters where you see how like, you see a half hat. his face. Yeah. yeah. And then you see the tower. Oh my God. I have yeah. to watch that now. I think just, uh, just I can't wait see. for him to die. <laughs> Jesus, wow. So I, I, a couple of things I'm, I'm going to interrupt. I hope I'm not interrupting Lee's train of thought. So a couple of things I found interesting about this movie. Um, number one, I know this movie is compared to Lethal Weapons sometimes because they're both considered action movies that are Christmas movies. I think most people prefer Die Hard as a Christmas movie. I, I, I didn't even think Le- Lethal Weapon was a Christmas movie, was it? Lethal Weapon's quite the Christmas movie as well. Oh. Hmm. If you watch it. Um, and Lethal Weapon is an excellent movie. I prefer Die Hard overall, but Lethal Weapon I find to be an excellent movie. I like Lethal Weapon, yeah. Uh, and that's if uh, I know you were mentioning, Lee, that Daniel at some point might want to do it. Uh, I yeah. would love Will eat the weapon because I actually have a lot of thoughts on that entire franchise. But I just thought it was interesting that um, uh, you got two actors, uh, Mary Ellen Trainer and the other guy. I don't have his name handy, but he's the Asian terrorist in Die Hard and Oh, Ali Young. Yeah, and he's also the Asian terrorist in Lethal Weapon, because why not? He's the, um, he's, the, uh, he's the Asian henchman in just about every 80s uh, action movie. He often gets killed. He's even got a... Uh, a GoFundMe, I think, for like a uh, sort of uh, biography film on him, documentary on him, that's called Hinchman. Mm. That's amazing. Um, so I thought it was kind of interesting. You got a little bit of cross-pollination going there, as you often do with 80s films. And uh, are you guys ready for uh, maybe unzip your pants a little bit and get a nudity report on this movie? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ah, well, yes, because I know there's so- at least two good ones. Yes, so we do have, and actually, you know what, I apologize for not having uh, this research better, because I don't know if the girl on the poster is anyone that has any sort of fame to them. I have not researched that. However... It looks like some kind of Playboy center cut, centerfold. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. sure maybe it's somebody popular. I haven't researched this. This is terrible. Lee should fire me from this podcast. He's going to totally cancel my pension. But anyways, uh, the girl. so the girl who was... Uh, according to IMDb, she's listed as as woman with man, mm-hmm. who you see her breasts, who I saw on a very big screen, not too much, and they do hold up. If, hey, if you want to see her nude again, you can also see her in L.A. Story, and oh, yeah. she plays changing room woman. Oh, okay. So there, there we go. go. Like she's got a long illustrious career. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they, I think they they should have added Michelle Bauer to yeah. that card, and that would have been better. That would have been best, yeah. Mm-hmm. Why not? Now, of course, uh, let's talk about what you don't see. You don't get to see the wife naked, that played no. by Bonnie Bedelia. However, you do want to see her naked. Uh, you can see Then Came Bronson from 1969, so quite a bit before this movie, when she was younger. 
and you get to see her lady parts. And if you want to say it's a little bit closer to Die Hard, apparently she also shows her boob in The Stranger. A little bit of sad news is I was also looking at Mel- Mary Ellen Trainer, who plays the newscaster, and I didn't realize she died because she's in an awful lot of 80s movies, and she apparently died in, 19, in uh, sorry, 2015. And she does not do any nudity, so you can't really do much to her, although you probably shouldn't, because that's kind of mm-hmm. weird. It's jacking off to a corpse. That's a little odd. No, it's not. It's not weird. Well, <laughs> yeah, I know. We got Paul on here, so it's it's fine. And, and who, am, who am I kidding? I would do it, too. But, um, yeah, so that's just kind of too bad. So let's have, like, two seconds of silence for her. There we go. And- and we're back. I, I was actually disappointed because I actually like her as an actress. I always thought she was a fun kind of person. And here's the funny thing. I thought she was the lead actress in The Howling. And apparently she's not. That's D. Wallace. Yeah, it's D. Wallace. Yeah, I so got fucking threw my phone everywhere. I don't even know what movie she's in. I apparently give her credit for movies she's not in. But yeah. D. Yeah. D. Wallace basically famous for playing the mom in just about every horror movie yeah. in the for, for like 20 years. Yeah. yeah. Apparently, I get two of them confused. So there, there you go. You got one lady who's actually nude in the movie, one lady who's nude outside the movie, and you know. D. Wallace did a really nice uh, um, cameo on Grimm and got to play a werewolf, which was good. Ooh, nice. So I'm going to throw this uh, question at you guys before we get into the last little piece of trivia and start wrapping up here. Uh, My phone <clears throat> is dying. What is your favorite Christmas movies uh, other than Die Hard? My favorite Christmas movies, other than Die Hard, is Gremlins. I like The Grinch That Stole Christmas, the original cartoon. The uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown. That's always been mine. And then, of course, The Dorm That Drip Blood, Cadaver Christmas, and Don't Open Till Christmas. Oh, that's right. The Dorm That Drip Blood is a Christmas movie, too. I mm-hmm. forgot about that. And Greg. And it's Greg's turn. I actually agree with most of what Paul said. I haven't seen The Dorm of the Drip Blood. I'll have to put that on my list of movies to watch. I enjoy The Grinch. The I, I, I know Paul mentioned the cartoon, which, of course, that's a, a classic. I think the Jim Carrey one is actually quite a good movie as well. A Christmas Story, which... Actually, let, let's do the double feature from Bob Clark. It's a Christmas Story and Black Christmas. Mm. Both of them solid Christmas movies. And that's Kojak the Night Soccer, which is awesome. Of course. Yeah, just the dad, yeah. If you want a horror movie, Silent Silent Night, Deadly Night is a great movie about child abuse and how you can turn somebody into a fucked up killer. Um, <laughs> all the, all those Christmas horror movies that have like Santa as the killer, almost or or at least you know a killer, they they're almost always traumatized by Santa sticking his dick in their mother. <laughs> and you know well, why not? Because that's Santa's got to stick his dick somewhere, right? Rudolph can't do everything, right? Uh, <laughs> I mean, otherwise, I mean, of course, obviously Die Hard. Um, I, again, I'll, I'll re-mention Lethal Weapon just because I, I don't think Lethal Weapon gets enough credit as a Christmas movie. I do think it, it is an excellent Christmas movie. Babe, am I missing anything? Um, oh, my God, I just had a bit of my tongue. She had it at the tip of her tongue. Mickey's Christmas Carol. Oh, of course, Mickey's Christmas Carol. My wife is a big fan of the old school Christmas stuff, and I agree. Um <laughs> Mickey's Christmas Carol, and I believe uh, Pluto's Christmas Tree is the other one. Or hmm. maybe I have the name wrong, but everyone's probably seen that. Those, those Disney classics back in the day when Disney actually had a lot of integrity that they nef- don't necessarily have now. I think some of those classics are absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, Charlie Brown as well. I think Paul mentioned that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of really good Christmas movies out there. I, I was actually really Before dis- I forget, Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I- 
I totally agree with Paul. That works with both a Halloween and a Christmas movie. I will say, I'm going to mention one I was actually very disappointed in because, as many of you know, I'm a huge fan of Trick or Treat. It was made by, uh, I forget, it was Paul Doherty or I'm terrible with names, something Doherty, whatever. He's he's a good, he's a fairly famous screenwriter. And then he made Krampus a few years ago. And I did not enjoy Krampus at all. I thought it was very disappointing. I, I was really hoping after his amazing work on Trick or Treat that his Christmas version would be just as good and unfortunately it was not so i'm that's gonna go under my disappointing christmas movies oh that sucks but um yeah there's a lot of good christmas movies out there i think i think everything both you guys and paul uh, paul mentioned that, that made, didn't make sense how i said that but anyways uh I, they're, they're all great movies there's so many good christmas movies out there yeah i think i think for me um i think still my my all-time favorite is gremlins uh black christmas would be a close second um i also like two crime films that are that are christmas movies uh the ice harvest with uh john cusack and it's got billy bob thornton in as well it's just like a sort of a modern noir film where they're trying to escape the this fucking iced up fucking stormed in town with their mob boss's money and everything just fucking goes wrong. And it's um, it's got Oliver Platt as John Cusack's lawyer best friend who's now married to his ex-wife. And fucking, he's just a drunk and he's awesome. It's just an amazing drunk performance. And the other one I really like, and this is one I don't see heralded enough as kind of a cult classic. I think it deserves the status. Uh, the Long Kiss Goodnight, mm. which is, I think, pretty fucking awesome. And it is a Christmas movie. Um Samuel yeah, L. Jackson in that one. That on Twitter that if the diehards are Christmas movie, so is Long Kiss Goodnight. Mm-hmm. And because I'm a PA centric lover of PA, another one, and it's a it's a stupid comedy, but I like it. It's called Trapped in Paradise. Oh, okay. One other piece of trivia here, I just want to throw. Alan Rickman's first day of shooting, he filmed the scene where Hans Gruber first runs into John McClane. He made a jump off a ledge about three feet high and injured his knee <laughs> uh, when he landed and damaged some cartilage. So. He was told by his doctor not to put any weight on that leg, and he had to use crutches for a week. So the rest of the scene where Hans Gruber is standing and talking to John McClane, Alan Rickman is standing on one leg for the entire time. He has a leg brace on oh. under his pants. So so there you go. So I'm going to go to, uh, really quickly, go to Court Psyops' as a comment that I alluded to earlier on in the show. And he asked, what would the dynamics have been like had this been the sequel it was intended to be with Frank Sinatra starring? So Frank Sinatra at this point was 70 years old and kind of bloated and not his fit self that he was back in the 60s. You know, uh, 30 years or so of drinking and hanging out with mobsters and whatever else the fuck he did between singing. It probably would have been a way slower movie had they put him in and... I don't think it would have done as well. I mean, it's not like Frank Sinatra had massive box office appeal even back in the day. Like he did a handful of movies and that was kind of it, really. Perhaps so, it would have a few more Rat Pack like uh, musical numbers in it. Basically, you would have turned Die Hard into the Poseidon Adventure. <laughs> well, uh, and that that novel was written as sort of a response to like these sort of disaster movies of the seventies too. Like that was in mind uh, when uh, Thorpe uh, wrote those uh, specifically the towering Inferno apparently was a thing that was an influence, but yeah, this would be a slower movie. It probably wouldn't have done as well. Cause it's just in the wrong year for a movie like this to be made. Like if had they made it in the 1970s, mm-hmm. I think it could have been pulled off, 
Well, and, Frank Sinatra at this point was basically dead as an actor. Like he didn't really do much at this point. No, he. I think he was basically dead anyway. I think. Like, like, let's say hypothetically they had Frank Sinatra and more or less they kept the same script. It would have been an awful lot less stunts, an awful lot less jumping off buildings and right. going through windows, and I don't know, maybe like. I don't know, maybe he would have hid behind a corner and shot people or something. I don't... Well, what I think what would have happened is he would have had like the same, like the Roger Moore scenario with the later Bond films he did where he was well past his prime. And it, it would be like a lot of stuntmen doing shit that there's no way Frank Sinatra could believably do. Or, or, or what's the one uh, Sean Connery did Never Say Never Again where oh. Sean Connery's well past his prime and he's he's like in an unofficial Bond movie? Yeah, yeah. He's, He's wearing sweatpants through a bunch of it because he's kind of old. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think. I think. Bottom line, court. Uh, it would be a sad, sad movie if it was made in 1988. Um, if it was made in the 1970s, it might have had a chance. But even then, I don't think I would have put Sinatra in it. I would have put Bronson in it. Fuck that. Like I, that. Would, this would be perfect for Bronson in the 70s. I think. Yeah, like I, I think maybe like if you were to like if you were to play movie god and sort of say who you could throw in there, like um, you know maybe. Um... Uh, like I, I think any big guy wouldn't do well. Like, I don't think Schwarzenegger would do well in the role. I don't think it's his kind of movie. I think Sylvester Stallone would be like Yul Brenner well. or something like that. Someone Sorry? known but not too macho. In the seventies, Yul Brenner would work. Yeah, like I don't think you want somebody who's too well, too physically big because there are a lot of going through, you know, like ducks and stuff like that. Like you, oh, you could do, uh, you could do fucking Steve McQueen. Like maybe Chuck Norris, I don't know, but uh, Norris. The, I think the biggest problem is Norris is a terrible actor. He would. I could I mean, see. I could see Steve McQueen making this film good mm-hmm, because McQueen's got the acting chops and the personality. Willis had it as well. Of like kind of old at this point too, or. Well, McQueen would be dead by '88. Like he he died in the mid '80s. Oh um, shit! So he yeah, was not only old, he was dead. And I mean, Yul Brynner was dead then too. But I mean, we're sort of speculating. Like, if this was made in the '70s, who would you use? You could use McQueen. You could use Bronson. You could use Yul Brynner. You could use Lee Marvin if you wanted to go the route of being actually the retired cop, like from the story. You could go Lee Marvin. That that would be believable. He was still doing believable shit in the seventies before his drinking and smoking got the better Lee of him. Cleef. Let's use him. Lee Van Cleef would work. I would love to see Lee Van Cleef in this fucking I, movie in I the seventies. I think he'd be good. Yeah. Uh so there you go. Uh budget for this was twenty eight million. Box office return was a hundred and forty point eight million, so it did fairly well. Yeah. Even though even though it only had sort of like middle of the road reviews when it first came out, it, it wasn't necessarily well reviewed. But it, everybody sort of changed. Even the people who poo pooed on it, most of them sort of changed their opinions by the end of it. And it was like Roger Ebert, famously, like he did with a lot of movies, went back on his fucking original review, which is. Actually, I think that's kind of commendable. It's like, go back and rewatch a film and get a second opinion on it and admit you were wrong. Why not? You know, like, fuck. A lot of movies that grow on you. Mm-hmm. DVD info for this, there's about a bazillion fucking DVD releases. Mm-hmm. Strangely enough, most of them are foreign DVD and Blu-ray releases. There's very few, from what I could gather, actual, like, uh, North American releases for this. So your best bet is the Die Hard Collection that came out in 2007 as a box set, both on DVD and Blu-ray. And you can watch this on Amazon Prime for pennies, 
on the dollar kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So, can I just mention one thing? Um, mm -hmm. I, I am assuming that in uh, the 1988, that they they were actually probably anticipating that uh, you'd be doing this podcast, Lee, because they also referenced High Noon in the movie. Uh, yeah, where basically the whole Yippie Kaye motherfucker thing came from, uh, right? With Gary Cooper and Grace Kelly, and I know you guys have covered that movie. Mm -hmm. So I can only assume that the filmmakers basically anticipated your podcast years in advance and wanted to give you guys something to chew on. Well, um, John McTiernan and uh, uh, Stephen E. D'Souza were apparently forward-thinking individuals. So uh, good on them. Uh, I, I'm waiting for the residuals uh, to, to come flying in now, uh, all the money they owe us. They owe you uh, an awful lot of money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, we could do a Patreon too. People, people, if they if they want more of this scintillating conversation about uh, fictional amounts of money owed to us, uh, join our Patreon. Actually, we don't have one, so just 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 fuck off and don't give us money. Um, don't I don't know what we're doing next. Uh, I'm assuming the next episode is going to be our best of episode. Uh, we we sort of tabled Shaun of the Dead for now because of sickness and scheduling fucking shit so that might happen within the next couple weeks i don't know i have the feeling daniel is still going to be programming the podcast a little bit for the next month or so because he just threw a bunch of ideas at me so uh and they're pretty good ideas too so we'll we'll see what what comes of that uh but until then uh greg you don't do anything so people that's, can't find you that's not true i occasionally do beer reviews that are meant to just be more parodies than anything else and i only post them to people who I know, and I put them on private. So most likely you can't see my reviews, but they do exist. And they're probably, oh, I'm not going to say they're awesome. I'm not even going to say they're okay, but they're 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 better than terrible. They're on the internet. That's there you go. That's kind of what you can say about it. But uh, thank you very much, Greg, for joining in. It's, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Well, thank you for lying. That's what I do. Uh, Paul, where can people find you on the interwebs? Well, you can find me on YouTube, PA Brew News, Twitter, PA Brew News, Instagram, Oil Paintings by P. Romaley. And that's about it right now. Awesome. Uh, and, of course, you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com. You can find our links to Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Facebook. Join the Facebook group. It must be destroyed on site. And you'll find out what's coming up on the podcast. And you can leave your comments and questions and interact with us and all that good stuff. We've been having a lot more people leaving comments. and. Uh, we've had a few more people join into the group as of late too, so we're, we've been getting a lot more traffic lately. Uh, we're not we're not exactly pulling Joe Rogan numbers or nothing, but uh, we got a nice little uh, group of people who are talking back at us and shit. So that, that's good stuff. I want to see more of that happen, and I appreciate everyone who listens and actually does that. Well, happy New Year, motherfuckers! Uh, we're recording this on Christmas night, so this should be out before the end of the year. And uh, Happy New Year's to all the listeners. Happy New Year's to you guys. And we'll see you in 2019. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. And in yeah. case you're from a foreign country, and Lee might cut this out anyway, but I'm going to talk anyway. Uh, in case you're from a foreign country and you're like, Die Hard, Die Hard doesn't exist. Well, guess what? The movie might be called Action Skyscraper or The Glass Trap because those are two common movies that they were – common names this movie had in uh, – well, I'm going to say foreign countries because I'm just a random racist. So, um, yeah, so look up those movies if the movie Die Hard doesn't exist in your repertoire.
Nice. Um, I, what I really want to exist is uh, some sort of like Filipino or Turkish like rip off of this called Hard Die. Hmm. Well, there's there's Bollywood style. Hard Die, yeah. which is the Greece version of it. So there we go. There you go. All right, we're done. Goodbye. Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For other episodes, our Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Facebook group links, as well as podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through. <laughs>